pray. <clears throat> Father, as we consider what it is that we've sung about, the love so amazing, so divine that you've given to us in Christ, demands our everything. The, the, the funny thing is, is that when we consider the depth of your love for us, and we really understand it very clearly for us to offer up our lives is a privilege. It's the very thing that we want to do because we see that you've laid your life down for us. And so as we contemplate that tonight, Father, I pray that you would do the work in us that, that you can only do and that you know needs to be done. Us being made more like Christ, to love you more, and to behold you and to be anticipating the great in our hearts in a way that cuts against whatever it is that is needs to be cut against that's present in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, you can turn to John chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 30. In 31, we're going to spend some time in the book of John before we jump back into Psalms. Um, but I figured after the book of finishing book one of the Psalms, this would be a perfect time for us to take a little detour and spend some time in the Gospel of John together. Um, these verses in John help us understand why John writes his Gospel, like I said earlier, and why indeed God writes what he does in John, and so what we see is really God's own heart being communicated here. John may be giving us the reason for why he recorded what he recorded, but we have to remember that God himself is the first mover in the author of Scripture, and so what we have written down here is why God recorded what was recorded, and why he wanted it recorded. Really, I can think of nothing more important than, number one, being saved. And that's what John makes clear in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He writes these things. If you would read John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I mean, he makes a very clear statement of why he's writing what he writes. I want you to, I want you to read what I have recorded, and by reading what I've recorded, I want you to believe what I have recorded, and believing in what I've recorded, it would lead you to know Christ and who he is and his divinity, and in knowing him and believing in him and his divinity, you would have life, eternal life. I can think of nothing more important than the topic of salvation, of whether or not someone is actually saved and has life in Christ. Secondly, I can think of nothing more important than for those who do have life in Christ to be assured of the fact that they do have life in him. He would say something similar in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, 
Why does he write that other letter of 1 John? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so in the Gospel of John, he's saying, I want you, I'm writing what I'm writing so that you might know Christ and be saved. And then in 1 John, he says, I'm writing to those who are saved that you may know that you are saved. So these two things, I think, are just of, of great importance. They're huge. For someone to know, for someone to be saved, and then the saved person to know that they're saved. And, 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 and with this assurance and the knowledge of salvation, though we're not going to talk about that as much tonight, I will just say that with the assurance of the knowledge that you're saved comes the deepest and most profound source of contentment, joy, comfort. I mean, we're going to go through tremendously difficult things in life. And many of you already have. Seasons of tremendous loss, hurt, heartache. For many of us, those seasons are still to come. And many times what gets the believer through those difficult seasons is just you're just clinging to Christ. Like, that's all that you have at that moment. And you're taking, you're taking comfort in the promise that he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. My son, my son and my daughter, do not forget these words of mine. For the believer, for the saved, to know that they are saved comes the deepest and most profound source of peace, contentment and joy. And so for those of us who are gathered tonight, most all of us that I know of as I look in this room are people who claim to know Christ. And so we would know, be assured that you do know Christ. But John, in writing his first letter, wants to address the first issue. These things are written so that you might believe. John's gospel is, in essence, an evangelistic book. He records what he records so that we might read them and believe them and by believing them have life in the one who did them. Everything in John's gospel is really one purpose. I want to, as often as I can, as clearly as I can, put the person in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on display before you over and over and over in as many different ways as I can through what he does and what he teaches and, and how John himself was so moved. You read the beginning, read the first few verses of 1 John, that which we have seen, which we have touched, talking about Christ and how that impacted and moved him. And so we want to consider a few things tonight as we look at John 20, verses 30 and 31. The first is that what John writes and what he records, it's not all that can be recorded. It's a partial recording of all that it is that Jesus did. See that in verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs <clears throat> in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So what we have here is not everything that he did. It's not even everything that was done in front of the disciples. 
I wonder, like, after, you know, if some of the disciples had an opportunity to read John's gospel, they go, John, why didn't you include, remember that one time? Remember when Jesus did this one thing or he said that one thing? Why didn't you put that in there? But what we do have here is enough. It's more than enough. It's not everything that was recorded, but it's more than enough than we need. In fact, he would listen to the very last verse of the book of John. If you flip your page, if you need to do that, John chapter 21, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, I don't think that what John has in mind there are just the things that they saw Jesus do locally among them for three, three and a half years. I think what John is doing there is he's in his reflection upon knowing that Jesus is God. He's saying you could not, there would be more books written than the world could hold of the things that Jesus did because Jesus is God and Jesus, therefore, Jesus did everything. You couldn't fill the world. The world is too small for all the books that can be written of all the things that Jesus did because Jesus is God and he's done them all. He's done everything. Were you to record it? And that's why I think of, I thought of the song that we sing, The Love of God. And I think it, it portrays it perfectly, what's being communicated. It says this, Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. You could not record the depth and the breadth and the magnitude of the love of God. If, the, if all of the oceans in the world were ink, and every, piece, every person that ever existed were a scribe, and you looked up and the entire sky was a parchment, you wouldn't have enough writing material to tell you of all of the things that it is that God has done. It would, it would be ex exponentially more than what we can think of. But even though we have just a partial recording, what we do have is enough of a recording to believe. Jesus did many other signs and we want to notice that for a moment. We'll come back to it. John's emphasis is on the signs in particular that Jesus did. And we'll come back to that. But now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. We may not have everything that was done, but what we do have is like hand-selected by God himself. Picked. The things that John recorded are the things that God moved John to record. They're the things that God want, wanted recorded about his own working. The things, and you, so you think about that. When you're coming to and you're reading through the book of, let's just say the book of John itself. What you're reading are things that are hand-selected by God himself about him that he chose to have written down for us to read and to know certain things about him. Like he didn't write everything he could write. And so that makes us think and should make us notice, okay, well, what did he write? 
and the things that he did write, I should be paying attention to that stuff because what he wrote is hand-selected and is enough to cause me to look to Christ and to believe in Christ. I think that that makes not just the book of John, but Scripture itself a, a, a wonderfully precious treasure. What do you think that you, it is that you hold in your hands right now? Uh, 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 66 books that were randomly compiled by a bunch of people from different spheres of life over sp- of a spans of generations of time. And, and we just stumbled, a, a came across and just put them together and we go, oh, this looks good. Let's take these books. Boom, bind them. Here you go. If you believe in like the inspiration, the infallibility of the Word of God, then what you're holding here is what God breathed out and he chose to have recorded for you and I to have. You think about that. He doesn't need it. He's the author of it. He already knows it all. The reason why he gave us his word is for us to have and to read and to treasure and to know there are certain things that we do not know. There are certain things, as we've been learning in Romans 1, that we can gather about God as we look at creation. But, oh, how we need his special revelation to bring us to Christ and to open up our eyes. And so that means that the things that he has given to us and recorded are just, they're very special. And should be and should be read with great care and great affection, great humility. How many how often do we go through our day thinking, yeah, if I have time, I'll read the word? What does that communicate about how we how highly we think of ourselves? Like, oh, if I have time, I'll come to the Word and open it and read it. Like, this is, this, is, this is what God has given to us so that we might know, like, true things and be saved. And for the saved to grow in our salvation, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. It is literally one of a kind. And the things that are written down... He is written, he is preserved, he is fixed in history. That's why they were written. You think about that too? Why do we have a book? So that it might be preserved. So that we might know with, for certainty what it is that he spoke. We've all played the telephone game. I can't get three people away from what I originally said before it's all messed up. You've got to write it down. So, it does, so it, what gets written down, the message gets clearly communicated and disseminated to the people. God, and obviously in his infinite wisdom and providence, give it, gave us his word in written form so that it might be preserved and preached and read for our own personal good and instruction. But specifically, he mentions one thing, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. The things that he writes in the book of John are written so that you might believe. It's amazing what the Bible does, isn't it? 
You think of hardened criminals. If you understand sin, you understand what an amazing thing it is that happens whenever a sinner comes to salvation. He says, I'm giving you this book, and I want you to read it. And when you read it, upon reading it, God is going to do something to open up your eyes from it being just a, 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 some sort of religious historical book to being the word of God that testifies to the person of God and what it is that God himself has done to save us and reveals your sin and then on from there. No, I know of no other book that can change a person like the word of God changes someone. And his desire is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. At minimum, this tells us what it is that we must know in order to be saved. To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he's the promised Redeemer to come, and he is the Son of God. He is, when he, and we've talked about this a lot, when he says, uses the term Son of God, he's meaning the exact representation, the imprint, as we learned on Sunday, the icon of God. It is God himself. That you might believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. The deity of Christ is absolutely essential for salvation. There are a lot of other doctrinal issues that we, does a person have to know this? Does a person have to know this or this or this or this in order to be saved? And, and some of those things are important things to know, of which I would say maybe they don't need to know them in order to be saved, but after they are saved and they come to know them, they certainly can't reject them. But what John makes clear here is that I have written these things that you may believe in what? That Jesus is the Christ, that he is God, deity, incarnate, come to us. And what he has done, God has done. He is God in the flesh. He did not send a mere man. God sent himself to dwell among us and to live and to die in our place, and not just believing in him. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might what? And this is like where it gets really, really good. You might have life in him. Eternal, that wonderful thing that we so casually refer to as eternal life. You know, eternal life doesn't start once you die, go to be with the Lord. For every single believer, eternal life has already begun. He came to give life and give it abundantly. Eternal life, if you are a believer, is yours now, today. It's already started. And it will go on and on and on and on through all of eternity with absolutely enjoying him and worshiping him. This is why John writes, I want, you to, I want you to read, I want you to recognize, I want you to believe, and when you believe, you have life in him, real life, eternal life. What's the opposite of life? Death. What's, what, what, what is accompanied with death? Sin. 
It, it, it's, it's another way of saying not only are you going to live forever in pure bliss and holiness with the one who is majestic and holy and radiates those things who are those things, those very things himself, but you will also not have what is contrary to life, which is death and sin. It's not just like the believer has eternal life and we're stuck in this eternal mode of, of always waging war with the flesh and dealing with it. There is coming a day where sin and death cease and are no more. That is life. That's what you get when you believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why he could say, like, my whole book is funneling down to this one thing. And as we work through the book of John, this is what we're going to keep central. It's how is Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, being put on display so that we might believe in him and have life in him. And, and if we already believe in him and have life in him, how can that life continue to grow in us? And how can we enjoy it more and share it with others so that they too might have life? Let me tell you about this book regarding this man, and I want you to put your nose in this book, and I want you to read, and I want you to believe it. And in believing it, you too could have life. This is, this is a book for those who don't know Christ. I can't tell you how many, how many books I've read where pastors say, if I'm going to give someone who's not a believer and they're interested a book to read in the Bible, I'm going to give them the Gospel of John. You could, of course, give them any book. If they're elect, God's going to open up their eyes anyways. But I think the Gospel of John is a wonderful tool to use to get people face-to-face -face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus would say this in John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that wonderful? This is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And on the last day, I'm going to raise him up to dwell with him for eternity. It, it, it's, it's remarkable. And that's what he wants us to know that we have. Two phrases that are used in these two verses that reinforce the deity of Christ. The Son of God, and this phrase, in his name. That life is found in the name of Christ. Both speak to his divinity. He is the image of God, as the Son of God, and he bears the name of God because he is God. And really, as I was thinking about it, this should be one of the primary concerns that every Christian has for those who don't know Christ and from one Christian to another Christian. That people who don't know Christ may read and see and believe in him and have life in him. Really, that's the primary concern we have for those who don't know Christ, is that they would come to know Christ, have life, eternal life in him, and be raised up in glory in the last day. But also from one believer to another believer. As we minister with one another and we see 
and we, we, we can tell that people are struggling around us. Why do we struggle? We, we take our eyes off of the one who's given us life. We forget that we actually have life in him. These other things in our lives that are, that are competing for our affections and our attention and pulling us away, they don't offer life. They're offering you death. They're offering you misery. They're offering you discouragement and discontentment. Fix your eyes upon the one who promises you life and gives you life abundantly and enjoys and loves to give it to you. And say, brother, sister, let's look to the one who's given us life together. Let's enjoy him. Let's worship him. He's come so that you might believe, and in believing you would have life. It's his intent for you to know that you have life. To enjoy it, to rest in it. Now, there are two things briefly that I want to close this with that we will see in the book of John. Belief in John will be used to describe those who have saving faith, but it will also be used to describe those who just have mental assent in who he is. And you will see that as we go through John. But the context will make clear to us uh, which is which and what's going on. The other question, the other thing that I want to address very briefly is this. John makes it very clear that the signs that Jesus does are a clear proof of him, of him being the Savior. Jesus himself would say in John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. It's his way of saying, my works testify to my deity, the signs that he does. And so the question I know that would be raised by some is, well then, what about the current use of signs today? Shouldn't the church be looking for signs and doing signs like Jesus did in order to validate our message in the gospel of who he is. And I'll just answer that very briefly by the way that Peter answered it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, as he was reflecting upon probably the greatest sign, one of the greatest signs outside of the resurrection and the transfiguration. And Peter would say in 2 Peter 1 that I saw that and I beheld that transfiguration. You know what? We have something more sure than that sign, the word of God. Why don't we expect signs to validate the gospel message? Why don't we perform miraculous signs in order to verify the gospel message and the work of Christ? Because we have something better. The completed word of God. And so we preach the scriptures and we stick to the scriptures. Because that is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, we consider those two things um, as we close. But we are going to be looking at what it is that John says to us in these verses here. 
Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in his book, but these are written, and we want to know and look at what are written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Be encouraged to share this message with others that they might have life in his name, and for those of us who already have life in him, we might have life more fully and complete and abundant in him. Let's pray. Father, we are... We're thankful for your word. You've given us something that has testified to what you have done. It is sure. It is trustworthy. It is complete. And it imparts life to us as it, it, as it, as it leads us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We have life in Christ. And the word becomes the avenue, the tool by which we understand that life, we see that life, we enjoy that life. And so may the word become central to us in our daily lives. So we thank you, Lord, for today. Bless your name. May you be glorified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone, please stand and we have... One more song.